0: Few things are more frightening to a child than an angry dad. An angry father in the home is the metaphorical equivalent of rolling, rolling a child's heart through a minefield. The angry dad forces the child to live between two worlds one either strive to be perfect or receive the father's exasperating disapproval. The accumulative effect of that kind of torment is hard to overcome. If the angry dad does not change, the child will fall prey to a lifetime of internal and relational struggles. Hello everyone, this is Rick Thomas. You're listening to the Life Over Coffee podcast. I am building this podcast from an article that I have written, and the title of the article is The Toxic and Damaging Effects of the Angry Dad. If you want to listen to the podcast, watch the video, or read the article, you can find all three of these resources in one place. Just go to our website and, again, look for the title, The Toxic and Damaging Effects of the Angry Dad. You could just type the word Angry Dad in the search feature of our website, and this article will come up. Thank you so much for those of you who listened or watch our videos rather on YouTube and Rumble. I am glad that you do that. If you happen to do that, please subscribe to either one of those channels and share Uh, those videos with your friends. We want to reach as many people as possible. And then for those of you who are listening by podcast, if you would write a review on the platform that you're listening to this podcast and give us a five-star rating, that would be so wonderful. As always, we have forums where you can interact with us. And so if you have questions and and you're looking for answers and you want interaction instead of just a monologue, which is what our content here is, we want to be a dialogue ministry as well we would love to dialogue with you don't forget we do have a mastermind program for those of you who want to do a deep and extensive dive in all things discipleship i believe that this is one of the best programs that you can enroll yourself into to learn how to do biblical counseling that information too is on our website and then finally if you would like for me to come to your local church and speak on any topic whether it's anger marriage parenting something else Uh, Introduction to Biblical Counseling, uh, Getting Your uh, Church Ready and Equipped and Envisioned to do Biblical Counseling. Whatever the topic may be, uh, just write us and let us know, and it would be our pleasure to come to your place and to do some type of conference of your choosing. Okay, let me get into this. Again, the title of it is The Toxic and Damaging Effects of the Angry Dan. Now, regrettably, many children never completely overcome the effects of an angry father, I have counseled several 50-year-old children who are still trying to please their fathers, even so, even though some of these dads died years earlier. It has been a phenomenal and a sad thing to watch in my counseling career as I have talked to these 50- and 60-year-old men and, and women, by the way. As a matter of fact, we had someone on our forums just today who is just learning what it means to have a Heavenly Father, and she is uh, well past her 50s. As she said, uh, it was only at 50 years of age she began to learn that her Heavenly Father is much different from her earthly father, and this is an all-too-common sad story that we encounter with this ministry. The craving to please, to please a father that I'm talking about here, happens because every child comes into our fallen world timid and insecure, longing for loving stability, safety, and protective care. The native craving for security is part of what it means to be born in Adam. All of us have Adamic natures, and when Adam and Eve walked away from God in Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, part of the consequences of their sin was fear-centered insecurity. Perhaps you remember as soon as they began walking away from the Lord, they covered themselves with fig leaves because they, they sensed a, a sense of shame and internal awkwardness of the soul. That's another way of saying fear. And of course, Adam said that he was afraid, and then part of that fear was to blame his circumstance on his wife. And so fear and shame and guilt are part of the internal dysfunction that goes on with all Adamic creatures. And by the way, we have inherited the results of Adam and Eve's actions. Fear, timidity, uncertainty are part of every person's nature. Imagine a child coming coming into a cold, harsh world only to become dependent upon and vulnerable to an angry father, not knowing how to please him or to stay out of his way. It is a lose-lose situation for an Adamic child the child's desire for love and affirmation, the child's craving for security. These are good desires to have, but they will not happen while he is in the home, assuming the dad never repents of his sinful anger. And as he grows older and makes outside the family connections, he will sense a calming, from the craving for his dad's love and affection, even though the satiation of these desires usually is idolatrous. And what I mean by that is a child that I'm describing to you here tends to use other people to satisfy this approval drive, this craving for affection and acceptance and respect and love and security. Initially, it is a shock to observe a parent's failure from the child's perspective. You see, children perceive parents as being perfect. And why not? They are older, they are taller, they are stronger, they are smarter. Parents are less dependent, they are self sufficient. And they are also the authority figures, which assumes being right. That is the natural default for folks in authority. Those of us who are submitted to folks in authority, we tend to default that they are the ones in the right. And so it stands to reason for the child to see his parents as perfect because they are in the know, at least from the child's limited and immature perspective. And even though the child does not perceive his father's wrongs, not while the child is young, he would not stand up to him. I mean, even if he did perceive those wrongs, his dad's power and stature manipulate him to suck it up while internalizing the confusion that's going on in the kid's soul. It's the double whammy effect. He labors under his native Adamic curse, that internal awkwardness of the soul, and he labors under the depravity of his dad. It is too much to ask a child in a situation like this to, to be mature by doing the right thing. That is a bridge too far for little children, and we should not place that burden on them. Of course, the child's unique constitution will determine how he internalizes and processes and responds to what is happening to him. If you have a child and, and their tendencies are toward introversion, uh, toward being shy and, and quiet, well, that child will only become quieter. Being silent will be his default way of hiding in plain sight of his dad. Being quiet will be his refuge. Being quiet will be his way of escaping a dysfunctional home with an angry father. The quiet child may choose to enter the cyber worlds of television, maybe video games or other technologies. This strategy will not remove him from the home But virtually, it will remove him from the chaos of his home, and it will allow him to create a virtual safe space to enjoy life through vicarious escapes. For example, let me explain the story arc of of a television show, and it will help you to to see how a child can vicariously escape through the story arc of a TV show as he fantasizes about how life could be in four parts. Here's the story arc. Part one of, let's say, a 30-minute TV show. It starts out with a perfect world. And then part two, a problem arises. Isn't that how it always goes? And then part three, the problem is solved. And then part four, it's a perfect world again. And he can benefit from that in just 30 minutes, and he can do it over and over again, vicariously living out. This story arc will allow him to at least fantasize of what life could be like if he wasn't in a tormented home. Of course, if he chooses video games, he will learn how to become good at something, meaning he will learn how to win. He will get his approval drive stroked. And with winning in view, he enters the theater of the mind, again, vicariously fantasizing where victory is only a few levels away. And with enough persistence and the assurance of unending resurrections, because if he gets killed, he can live again and he can fight another day. In this way, he can enjoy a radically different fantasy from his hellish home life. The sad part about the internalization of his troubles while acting out through gaming is that he is seething in low-grade anger that may be riding under the radar of his parents' perception. He doesn't necessarily show his rage early on, but the turmoil and confusion will eventually come out after he becomes an adult and the parents will scratch their heads wondering why all this anger comes from their teenage son. For now, he's too young to articulate what is happening to him, inside of him, and they are too preoccupied or they are too dysfunctional to notice the silent death operating in this child's soul. So he quietly sits and simmers in front of his screen until the day comes when he can express through words and deeds what he has been harboring in his heart for years. If the child's personality, if the child's constitution, is bent toward extroversion, well then he will be a little bit different. He will act out outwardly. He will be that outwardly angry, competitive, or it may be whiny child. He will direct his anger toward those that he can be mad with, which is his way to control the world that is primarily out of his control. Because his constitution is extrovertish, outgoing, he will use his anger as a manipulative tactic to keep people under his control. Both kids, the quiet kid and the loud kid, they need something or they need someone that they can manipulate and defeat. The quiet kid manages and manipulates his technology while the extrovert kid controls the family. In both cases, it's manipulation that becomes their modus operandi. Manipulative anger offsets and satiates the internalized inferiority and fear that they feel from their overbearing and dictatorial father the common prey in either kid's sightlines will be their mother usually she is a victim to this kind of these kinds of children she is someone that they can easily conquer which ironically mirrors the dad's superiority through anger behavior The kids are only emulating that. One is doing it through his quietness, his introversion, and the other one is doing it through acting out. The one thing these kids have in common is their desire to be good at something, to win, to conquer, to feel victorious at something They choose what is best suited for their personality types to overcome this displeasure that they have with their fathers. The quiet child does not want to displease, so he chooses passivity and non-aggression. The extroverted child seeks to overcome by initiating aggression and superior tactics their ever-growing Adamic desires for love and respect and affirmation. It will create a distance between who they are, what they are becoming, and what they could be in God through Christ. Sadly, it's the parent's job to stand in this gap between their adam and what could be their Christ-likeness. And it is the parent's job to shepherd these children, to close that space until both child and Christ are one. It's the dad who is on point primarily cooperating with God to lead the child to the only person who can transform him from being Adamic to Christ-like. The parents will help, or the parents will hinder this distance between the child and God. A child's father is instrumental in this process because he is the earliest and most straightforward and most profound picture that a child will ever see of God the Father. Some people have called this concept mutual exclusivity, which is how a child learns words and categories. Mutual exclusivity is a child's infantile ability to only apply one label to all of the objects within a category. For example, an elephant is not a pachyderm. A pachyderm could mean elephant, rhinoceros, or hippopotamus, but an elephant means one thing, not three things. That's what mutual exclusivity is. Children can learn one label to apply to the entire category, and so when it comes to what a father is, the child develops his label, father from the big person standing in the middle of the room. He learns his definition of what a father is through his father. He learns what, how to interpret what a father is as he is interpreting his father. And so he observes his father. As thus, when he learns later that there is another father, God the Father, he already knows who God the Father is through his earthly father's attitudes, words, and actions. It never occurs to a young child that there could be two or more kinds of fathers this is what the individual was saying on our forum today. They know what a father is because of how their father treated them when this person was a child. Unfortunately, as, as this person was saying, they were raped as a child. And so when they came to learn about God the Father, they already had their definition. They already had the label. They already had the interpretation of who he is. If a father is a poor representation of God the Father, then the child will have difficulty relating to God the Father as an adult. It could take years and a lot of strenuous spiritual work to realize that God the Father will not treat this child harshly or unkind, and he will not relate well to God the Father based on his poor performances. Thus, if this child is a poor performer, if this child has sin habits and patterns and behaviors in his life, he will really have a hard time relating to God the Father. Hopefully he will learn that rather than placing harsh demands on him because of his sinful behavior, his heavenly father chose to punish Jesus for those things that are wrong with him. The love of his heavenly father will draw the child to freedom, something his earthly father's anger could never do. If you're motivated to serve God out of fear, Instead of love, you're nothing more than a nervous circus performer. Nothing relieves the pressure to perform for acceptance like a father's approval that is not conditioned on performance. The child of an angry dad has a hard time embracing God's mercy, his favor, his grace, his love, because it has never been his experience." The only father he ever knew was an angry man who put him under the fear of never meeting his expectations. How could this child think otherwise, even if this child was now 50 years old? Some dads may listen to this podcast, and they may say that they do not have the kind of angry anger that, that I'm talking about, and I do hope that that is true. But still yet, Any ongoing disapproval of a child will harm that child. Your child looks up to you. He is born insecure and uncertain. He is adamic, fallen, and totally depraved. He is unsure if he is doing things correctly. He needs your affirmation. He needs to know that you are for him. Dad... You are the primary person in his life to affirm your affection and approval of him. If you are harsh, picky, unkind, uncharitable, unloving, or disapproving, then you are sending a strong message that he does not measure up to your standard. And as he grows older, there is a near 100% chance he will look for approval in other places. Let me give you just seven ideas, seven possibilities of how and why children look for approval in other places when they are born in a home with an angry dad. This is not an exhaustive list, but these are seven common things that I have seen in children's lives after they have become teenagers and adults. For example, children with anger to angry dads could be tempted toward one legalistic religious environments become a haven for the child craving approval. It's one of the reasons legalism is so effective, because all you need is the rules, and thus a person who has been conditioned to live by the rules will find legalism very palatable because just give me the list, and I will live according to your rules. I will live conditionally, and I know that I will be accepted. Another place where a child will look for love would be teenage love, and that will appear to be the perfect place to get an approval drive stroked. Now, of course, we know that that is not love, that that is actually idolatrous lust, uh, but that child is looking for affection, legalism, and teenage love are two. Here's a third one. Running with the wrong crowd does not seem bad if the wrong crowd will accept the longing child. This is where I fit in. This was my one of, my, uh, the, of the seven that I'm sharing with you. This is the one that fit me to a T. The loving crowd, the accepting crowd, and because they were the accepting crowd, they were the wrong crowd, but again, that didn't matter because they approved me. Number four, choosing a gay lifestyle can seem wise if receiving love from someone is the hope-filled result. I counseled a lesbian one time. She came to my office, and this is exactly what she said. She was reared in a fundamentalist legalistic environment. She chose legalism, but legalism wasn't working for her. She was looking for approval. And she told me that when she walked into the gay bar and saw all the other ladies looking at her, she felt something that was so powerful that she was willing to sacrifice all of her theological training. Her parents were missionaries in another country. Choosing a gay lifestyle seems wise if receiving love from someone is the hope-filled result. Number five, Porn is an apparent rejection-free world where you can receive gratification physically and emotionally, and that is one of the biggest enticements to pornography because you can create this theater of the mind where you can make uh, the people on screen adore you in your own mind, and that is part of the big appeal to pornography. Number six, drugs and alcohol make for easy escapes from disapproving parents as these drugs relieve the pain of loss that the child has experienced in childhood. And then finally, number seven, even a child's strengths, can become his most significant weaknesses when used to manipulate applause from others. This is a blind sign that many kids and parents do not see as we applaud the strengths of this child, not recognizing that the child is using their strengths in order to garner affirmation, something that they have been craving in their souls because they are in angry home. Dad, if you are angry, disapproving, overbearing, passive, or distant— you must repent of these sins, including the rolling of your disapproving eyes or the elevated tones of your voice. I use the anger spectrum that I've talked about often in my anger series. I have it linked here. It's an infographic that I would love for you to check out that gives the many manifestations of anger. As James talked about anger being murder in James chapter 4, where there are many manifestations of murder, what he called anger, And I would love for you to check out this Anger Spectrum infographic. Even these lesser and seemingly inconsequential sin patterns communicate to your child that you do not accept him. There is a way to deal with your child's sin, but an expression of sinful anger will not draw your child to Christ no matter how subtle you believe your anger is. The title of this podcast is The Toxic and Damaging Effects of the Angry Dad. I want to wrap this up by working through the call to action section at the bottom of this article. And again, if you want to read the article, just go to our website and look for that title. Just type in The Angry Dad and it will come up for you. But number one, will you ask your spouse or maybe ask your friends how they have observed you talking to your children. This would be an excellent opportunity for humility and vulnerability, but also to show leadership as you humbly ask those who know you well and have observed you, how do you communicate to your child or to your children? Number two, please don't fall into the self-righteous comparison trap that says something like, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. You may not be as bad as your friend, but the person you want to compare yourself is Jesus Christ, not another sinner. How do you compare to Jesus when it comes to parenting your children? That is the question that you want to ask, not falling into the comparison trap. Number three, you must go far beyond the subtle forms of disapproval, like the rolling of the eyes that I was speaking of, or huffing under your breath even apathy is a form of anger and hatred. There is no neutrality between love and hate. There is no grace space between love and hate that is acceptable. Either our words and our tones and our attitudes and our actions are either on the love side or the hate side. All of our expressions represent either love or hate toward our children. Our goal must not be to stop being angry, but we, we need to go beyond the stopping of something, the putting off of something, but we want to put on something, positive expressions of love. The question is, how do you rank yourself in expressing affectionate love to your child? Number four, are you an encourager of your children? If you have been motivating them by fear because of your anger, I appeal to you to repent by learning how to motivate them by kindness. There's a lot of embedded links, by the way, inside this article, and so I would encourage you to take advantage of them As I've said many times that our articles are like six month long homework assignments. We build them that way intentionally, meticulously, so that you can have one resource where it's not just the podcast, the article, and the video that's embedded here, but there are a lot of links to that I would encourage you to take advantage of. Number five, perhaps a way to enter into a transformative conversation with your child is by saying something like this, son or daughter, if you knew that you could answer this question in any way that you wanted to, and that I would not become angry with you, how would you answer this question? And here's the question, son or daughter, When you think of me as a dad, what are you more aware of, my approval and my affirmation of you or my disapproval and displeasure of you? Now, you want to preface that question by saying, by letting them know that they can answer in any way that they choose to. They are free. Dear Dad, you will not be able to stop being angry all by yourself. I encourage you to find help. Sanctification happens in a community. I appeal to you to humble yourself before God and others. Do not try this alone. Ask your pastor or spiritual leader in your local church to help you. Release your kids from the bondage of fear that comes through us we angry dads thank you so much for listening to the podcast you have been listening to life over coffee with rick thomas if you have a question for rick you can let him know by sending him a note through his website rickthomas.net that's rickthomas.net thanks for listening enjoy your coffee